taking a seat this morning. Open your Bibles to the, the book of James, New Testament, as we continue in our series, Living Faith, making our way and seeing what it looks like for Christians not to have a dead faith, not to have a faith that's one day a week, but a faith that lives as we live. A faith that moves as we move. We're going to take a, a break next week as we explore what it looks like for Christ to be born in the brokenness. But for the time being, we're going to remain in the book of James. So open your Bibles to James chapter 2. You probably heard a lot of things this past week. Probably heard a lot of opinions, a lot of ideas, thoughts. You might have heard that you should only talk to people who think like you or look like you. Now, beloved, hear the word of God. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or Sit on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 5, I want you to sort of put a pen in. It's going to be the ending verse today. It's sort of a nice transition from verse 5 until next week. So let's read it, but it'll sort of come back to us at the end of the sermon. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I know y'all thinking like, man, this is Advent season. We're supposed to be in a text that makes us feel good. And you go to James chapter 2. 
Listen, beloved, Christ, Christ didn't come to make us feel good. He came to make us holy. But we'll try to make you feel good next week for the Christmas service. But if you don't pre-register, you're not going to feel good because you won't be allowed in. So pre-register. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you to break through the distractions, break through everything, and speak to us. Be greater than even our own hearts. Be greater than our own minds. Be greater than our own backgrounds, our own upbringings. Speak to your people. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The title of this morning's sermon is simply this, God has no favorites and neither should we. Notice, if you will, in James chapter 2, James says these words, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James uses this word favoritism. It's like, a, it's like an idiom in James' day. And, and what it does is it combines two words. The, the first word is hold on to, and the second word is face, like somebody's face. So the expression is don't hold on to people's faces. In other words, James is saying don't look at a person and judge them based upon what you see. That is favoritism. If you look at a person and decide how you're going to interact with them or not interact with them based upon how they talk, how they dress, what they look like, James says that is favoritism. Do not hold on to people's literally don't hold on to their faces. Notice what also James says in verse 1. As you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what James is doing. Don't hold on to people's faces, but hold on to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What James is saying is you cannot do both at the same time. You can't be, have this, this disposition of favoritism and also claim to hold on to Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, our grip isn't that strong. If we're holding on to one, we're losing our grip in the other. If we're holding on to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not playing favoritism. But if we are playing favoritism, we're not holding on to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine if somebody famous, rich, were to walk in through the back doors of the sanctuary and people start whispering, oh, do you see who that is? Oh, man, do you, do you know who that is? Look at who that person is. And at the same time, right behind them, a, a poor brother or sister walks in, and we completely disregard them. James says, that 
is sin. And it's not just a sin to, to notice it, brothers and sisters. In James chapter 2, verse 3, he gives us sort of the typical James pattern. Temptation that leads to sin. Noticing a brother or sister is wearing something fancy or a gold ring isn't the problem. The problem is after you notice, you base your actions off of what you notice. Verse 3 is you notice somebody and say to them, hey, rich person, come on up here to the front row. This is where the preaching is really good up here. This is the A student section right here up in the front row. And then you see a poor person walk in. You say, hey, why don't you stay back there? You know, we don't don't need you in in this service. James says to notice is one thing, but to act on how you notice someone, brothers and sisters, that is considered sin. Now, I imagine, I got to be honest with you. If if Fred Hammond were to walk through the back doors of that church right now, Some of y'all are like, who Fred Hammond? This is like the second or third time I have mentioned the name Fred Hammond. So I'm giving y'all homework. If you don't know who Fred Hammond is, go home and Google Fred Hammond. Or if Kirk Franklin were to walk through the back doors of the church. There you go. Y'all know who Kirk, okay, yeah, amen, amen, yeah. If Kirk Franklin were to walk through the back doors, I might get a little flustered. I might say, man, Fred Hammond, Kirk Franklin walking through the doors of RCC, what is, that's, that's pretty cool. But here's where the distinction is, brothers and sisters. If I were to say to Fred or, or say to Kirk, hey, y'all, welcome to RCC. So nice to see y'all. Come on up here in the front. And then a poor brother or sister walks in, and I completely disregard them. James says, that is sin. Can I ask you a personal question this morning? Can I, can I probe just a little bit? Unless you have sort of blinders on, you have walked through the doors of Redemption City Church, came into the sanctuary, you maybe walked through the foyer on your way in. Can I ask you a question? Is there somebody that you did or did not talk to solely based on how they looked or what they were wearing or how they spoke? Was your interaction, did something that somebody was wearing prevent you from saying good morning to a person? James says, if that is your disposition, it is sin. If your mouth was closed, because somebody looked a little differently, spoke a little differently, whatever the case may be, James says that is holding on to their face. That is favoritism. Look at verse 4. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Brother Tony, if I can get that distinction slide on there that shows the definition of distinction, that would be awesome. Distinction is this. To differentiate by separating. See, it's one thing, saints, to notice a difference. It's another thing entirely to begin to separate people based upon that 
difference. It's nothing wrong with using your eyes and noticing distinguishing marks about people, long hair, what they're wearing. But the moment you say, the moment you begin to judge and separate people into categories based upon their face, James says that is sin. Can I share with you some distinctions that have sort of crept into the church? I know I spelled that, wrong, that word wrong. Don't worry about that. Y'all just... Y'all, y'all look past my errors, right? I was, I was typing in different language and I was writing this. Let me share some distinctions that have sort of crept into the church, that have crept into our Christianity. One of those distinctions is married and single. You know, single folks, you stay over there. Married folks, we can all hang together. Single folks, once you sort of reach this higher level of humanity, and get married, then we can hang out and kick it with one another. That distinction has sort of crept into the church. Another distinction is children and no children. You know, those of us with kids, we need to hang with those who have kids because y'all get the struggle. Those of us who you don't have kids, you don't understand what we go through. You don't understand our life, right? And so we sort of separate. We, we hang out. We put in the categories. Another separation is adult and kids. Kids have sort of become a distraction to our worship. So adults, we can hang, but when it's really time to get serious about the things of the Lord, oh, man, we can't have kids anywhere around us. Another one is racial. Sort of crept into the church, crept into our Christianity. We divide, make judgment calls, put into categories based upon racial distinctions. Another one, I'm sure we're all familiar with it, in this season is political. We make distinctions, begin to separate into categories based upon who somebody voted for. The last one is economic. I live here. You live there. I'm from this side of town. You're from that side of town. I have this. You don't have these things. James says if we begin to make distinctions based upon any of these things, if we begin to interact with people or not interact with people based upon these examples, James says that's favoritism, and he doesn't mince words. He said it is sin. Holding on to someone's face is sin. Brothers and sisters, it's, it should have no place in our fellowship. Not only that, but favoritism shouldn't have any place in our courts. Did you notice how James almost seamlessly, he left the four walls of the church and he entered the court system in verse 5, 6, and 7? Remember, I told you I'm going to come back to verse 5. I haven't skipped over that. I'm going to come back to verse 5 at the end. Look what James says. Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you, drag you into court. Isn't that amazing? That James can speak into the lives of people outside of the four walls of the sanctuary. Because, brothers and sisters, that's living faith. If faith is only turned on and off between 9 and 11.30 on a Sunday morning, that's not living faith. 
Faith leaves this building. It enters our cars. It enters our homes. It enters our schools. It enters our jobs. And it enters our courtrooms, James says. Leaves the church. Goes to the courtroom. Now, I'm going to give you a little historical background on James chapter 2 on why in the world James was sort of going to this talking about, you know, the rich oppressing you, dishonoring the poor, dragging you into court, blaspheming the good name. I'm going to give you just a little bit of historical background. And if your heart and soul is convicted by this historical background, it's not me. Y'all convicted by the historical background. Listen to what James said. He asked them three questions, to which, in these rhetorical questions, James is assuming a yes answer. Don't the rich oppress you? Don't they drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? James asked these three questions because James is trying to get it right in his mind. He's like, wait, recipients, let me get this straight. You are deferring. You are changing your behavior if a rich person walks in, but aren't that, isn't that the same group of people who oppress, drag you into court, blaspheme the good name? What James is trying to understand is, why do you do that for the rich, but you don't change yourselves for the poor? The poor aren't the ones dragging you into court. Poor aren't the ones oppressing you or blaspheming the good name. Why is James saying this? You ever ask the question, like, man, does James have something against rich folks? Not at all, brothers and sisters, but here's what's going on in James's day. Here's the historical background. Oppression, as James's listeners would have heard it, is primarily religious oppression. It's primarily religious. See, in James's day, as it should be in our day, to name the name of Jesus Christ has lifestyle implications. To name the name of Jesus Christ affects what you do, where you go, what you buy. And in James's day, that was an economic problem. These folks start turning into Christians, and they're not frequenting some of the same places they used to go. So what happens? Business starts to suffer. Why? Because Christians are turning into Christians, and they're not doing the same things. They're not buying the same things any longer. So the rich who own these business, they will begin to take these, you know, these poor Christians to court. And once they got them into court, they would do one of two things, which is so interesting. James uses this word blaspheme. And they would do one of two things once they got into court. They would either, A, use their Christianity against them and say to them, you Christians are discriminating against everybody else in society. That would never happen in our day, would it? Or, brothers and sisters, they would either do that or they would use Christians as pawns. 
And they would say to Christians, if you just do what we ask you to do, if you just bow down to the idols that we're making, that we're fashioning so we can sell in the marketplace, if you do that, we would give you whatever your hearts desire. That would never happen today, would it? See, because they understood that to name Christ as king, Christ doesn't allow for any other allegiances. This is what we're going to celebrate next Saturday and next Sunday, the coming of the newborn king. You remember in Scripture, when Christ was born, it wasn't like the kings of his day were like, oh, another king is born? That's cool. We can all share this throne together. That's not what happened. They tried to kill him at birth. They killed all the babies just to get to Jesus Christ because they understood that to say Christ is king meant that you're not bowing down to any other earthly king, such as the case in James's day. And James is like, y'all, notice what's happening. The, the, the rich folks who are dragging you into court Yet when they walk into your meeting, you're sort of bowing down to them, deferring to them, but you don't change your actions based upon the poor. Favoritism has no place in the courts. Not only that, brothers and sisters, but favoritism has no place in all of scriptures. Look at what James says in verse 8. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. I love that. James calls it the royal law. Remember, he was just talking about the court system. And then James says, in other words, there is a higher law. There is a law that's above every other court system. There is a law that's above the rich. There's a law that's above the poor. There's a law that's above black. There's law that's above white. There's a law that's above Republican. There's a law that's above Democrats. And here it is simply. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, in the scriptures, brothers and sisters, the, the Bible assumes that we love ourselves. We do a good job at loving ourselves. We do a good job of thinking about our own needs. And so James says, that's cool. Just love your neighbor like you love yourself. Can y'all imagine if we treated everybody else the way we love ourselves? Let me give you some practical ways that you can love your neighbor as yourself. Say, well, Stephen, how do I, how do, I do this? How do I love my neighbor as myself? Well, James is going to unpack this for us in the rest of James, but also in the rest of Scripture, it's going to be unpacked for us. Here's a practical way to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you value your own opinions? Value theirs. Do you think that you've never had a bad opinion in your entire life? Think the same thing about their opinions. Another practical way. Do you give yourself grace when you sin? Give your neighbor grace when they sin. When you sin, are you like, man, it, it was, I just had a bad day. 
That's why I messed up. But when your neighbor sins, you're like, oh, I can't believe they're that bad. Their heart is so wicked. It's so evil. They're so far from God. But wait a minute. What about yours? You gave yourself grace. But when it comes to their sin, all of a sudden you're like, no, they don't deserve it. If you give yourself grace, give them grace. Third way, practically, to love your neighbor. Do you not criticize yourself publicly when you mess up? Don't criticize them publicly when they mess up. If, if you don't get on social media and air all of your mistakes when you mess up, don't get on social media and air all of their mistakes when they mess up. Another practical way. Do you pray for yourself and your needs? Pray for the needs of your neighbor. If you're, if you're bowing your knee to, to God in heaven and asking him for, for things or praying for yourself, a, a practical way is like, my neighbor, you know, they're in need of this. Let me, let me pray for them. Do you buy yourself Notre Dame football tickets? Then buy your neighbor Notre Dame football tickets. I don't, I don't know how that got in there. It just, it just kind of slipped in there. I don't know where it came from, Graham. I don't, it's just there. I don't know. It's the spirit, man. Yeah, I don't know how I got in there. It's just, y'all take that for what it is. I don't know what that meant, but if you're convicted about buying me football tickets, then hey, I, that's the spirit. There's nothing I can do about that. this is the royal law brothers and sisters not only because Christ said it it's the royal law because Christ did it Christ loves us saints hear me he loves us like he loves himself and he does things for us that he does for himself Christ had a relationship with the Father. But you know what? He wasn't content with himself having a relationship with the Father. He came down to this earth so that you and I could have a relationship with the Father. He loves us like he loves himself. Christ is the heir of all things. But you know what? He wasn't content with himself just being the heir of all things. Christ, the scripture says, has made us co-heir to all things. Christ has the power over sin, death, and the grave. And you know what, brothers and sisters, when we die, guess what? We're getting up from the grave as well. He's loving us like he loves himself. Christ is holy. Guess what? Scripture says, be holy as he is holy. By his grace, by his merit, by his mercy, we can be holy as Christ is holy. Why? It's the royal law. Why is it the royal law? Because Christ said it. Why did Christ say it? Because he did it. The opposite of that, saints, James is clear. The opposite of that is sin, according to verse 9. If, however, again, showing an opposite, you show favoritism, if you're holding on to people's faces, you commit sin and are convicted by the law 
as transgressors. You know, it's so interesting, the transition from verse 9 to verse 11 in James chapter 2. Did you notice what James did there? Look at your text. All of a sudden, James is talking about favoritism. And then without blinking his eye, he starts talking about murder. Like, where in the world, James, are you going with this? How on one hand are you talking about maybe we see a rich person, we treat them differently, then all of a sudden you're talking about murder? Saints, that's not a leap. James is not making a quantum leap here. He's not being unreasonable. But he's painting a picture just like the rest of Scripture paints a picture for us that when we show favoritism, it's not as simple as that, saints. We are committing murder. We got to see sin the way God sees sin. We can't see sin the way, you know, our eyes and all of our brokenness and we sort of wink at sin and say, oh, it's not so bad. God sees it and says, it's awful. This is what Scripture says. First John chapter 3, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a what? It's a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Again, Scripture is making this connection. It's not as simple as hating your brother and sister. Scripture says it's akin to murder. Christ says the same thing. Christ makes an even greater leap if you're thinking along those lines. He says, you heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Do you see how the scriptures sort of raise the bar? Do you see how the scriptures don't let us get comfortable in our sin? The scriptures don't let us get comfortable with saying, oh, it's no big deal to favor one group of people over another. Because like, no, that's, that's like murder in God's eyes. It's no big deal to just hang out with this group because I can't stand that group of people. James says, no, that's sin, and it's akin to murder. So, brothers and sisters, we have to be clear. We, we can't mince words. Racism is not just favoritism. It is murder. One race over another. Sexism. It's not just favoritism that is preferring one gender over another. It is murder. Ageism, that is saying, oh, this this age group right here is the perfect age, but if you get too old or you're too young, I'm sorry, we can't hang out with you. James says that's that's murder. Politicism, it's not a word. You're not going to find it on Google. Pastor Stevens' word. That is preferring one political party over another, making distinctions between one and another. It's not just favoritism, brothers and sisters. James says it's murder. Sinism. Again, another word, don't, don't try to look it up. Sinism is saying your sin is not that bad, but the sin of your brother and sister, oh, it's atrocious. Because they sin differently than you. James says you're somehow the judge with evil thoughts over them. James says practically 
the, the way to go about defeating this is both simple and hard at the same time. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. No place in all the scriptures. Not only that, brothers and sisters, but favoritism has no place in all of eternity. It has no place in all of eternity. Y'all, do y'all hear James chapter 2 and y'all start to feel a little condemned? Are y'all like me? Do you start to read this and be like, man, that's, that's me. Welcome to the club. We got jackets, y'all. I, I read this text and I'm like, Lord, I do that so often. I, I'm guilty of knowing how a person thinks politically and start changing my interactions based upon that. Lord, forgive me. I'm guilty of this very thing. You know what, brothers and sisters? Verse 13 of James chapter 3 or James chapter 2 is a breath of fresh air. Notice what it says. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has not be to God mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh, I need that verse. I need to know that mercy is going to win the day because, brothers and sisters, I'm guilty of everything in James chapter 1, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Notice how James sort of changes the Christian ethic, right? He says, judgment, that is like standing before Jesus Christ, is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. James sort of, he raises the stakes. So the Christian ethic is not, brothers and sisters, treat somebody like you want to be treated. It's deeper than that. The Christian ethic is treat somebody like you want Christ to treat you on judgment day. That's how we live our lives. Right? When, you, when you stand before Christ who, who knows all, who sees all, who's, who's everywhere, like when you stand before him and he sees you in all of, all of your sin, James says to treat a brother or sister like you want Christ to respond to you when you stand before him on judgment day. Do you want Christ to look at all your faults, all your sin, and highlight them? Christ says, if you want that, go ahead and keep showing favoritism. But, oh, Lord, when I stand before you, I want mercy to win the day. I want mercy to triumph over judgment. I, I want to stand before Christ and like, Christ, you know all my sin. You know I'm worthy of the full wrath of God, but based upon what you have done, I need you to take that sin away. That's how I want to stand before Christ. And James says, if you want that, hear me in the here and now. Stop showing so much favoritism. Stop having those distinctions among yourselves. And saints, the only reason we can do all of that, the only reason we can even come close to standing on this passage is because of verse 5. Y'all thought I forgot about verse 5, didn't you? I didn't forget about verse 5. 
Look at what it says in verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in the world? Man, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. Oh, verse 5 sets us up perfectly for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 5 sets us up perfectly for next week. When we look at Christ, who has taken on flesh, born to the Virgin Mary, came down to earth. Verse 5 sort of sets us up perfectly for that because the verse says, didn't God choose the poor in the world? Brothers and sisters, Christ's coming as a poor man was not an accident. Christ's coming without this bastion of material wealth and possessions was not an accident. It wasn't like God said, oops, Christ, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to send you to the Virgin Mary. She ain't got no money. Joseph ain't got no money. I meant to send you to another neighborhood where they got a whole bunch of money. It wasn't an accident. But it was was on purpose. Like, we we can't read verse 5 and not at the same time sort of sing that that Christmas hymn, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Jesus our God with us. Y'all, God, though he had all the riches of all of creation, for our sake he became poor. Took on this, this frail flesh just to save us. Christ got down in the mud to to save broken people. That's why we can sing what we're going to sing on Saturday and Sunday. In in the darkness, we were waiting without hope, without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory. Do you know how that part ends? To a cradle in the dirt. That's where Christ came from. From endless glory down to the dirt. Why? Because Christ is life's plan in the dirt? No, Christ likes saving messy, broken sinners. So he left his wealth and glory and came down to save you and I. Jesus being born poor was not an accident. It was a manifestation of how God looks at the world. He turns the world up side down. The world's wisdom is not God's wisdom. Just because you have a certain amount of resources and wealth doesn't mean you're accepted by the Father. Only way you're accepted by the Father is going straight through Jesus Christ. So saints, we, we, can't, we can't neglect the poor while at the same time loving a a Christ who who became poor. We we can't hate the poor and love Christmas. Doesn't work that way. 
We can't say away with the poor, away with the homeless, while at the same time singing away in a manger. That doesn't work that way, saints. We see this, this poor Savior who became poor for our benefit, for our salvation. And we say, Christ, help, help me to love like you love. Help me to see the world like you see the world. Because, saints, honestly, we have to be honest with ourselves. Man, if God has favorites, if God has preferences, nobody in this room would be selected. If God had favorites, if God chose based upon this criteria or that criteria, the scripture is replete with examples like nobody in this room would be chosen. If you, O oh Lord, were to mark iniquities, who could stand before you? But you're a God of grace so that you may be feared. And so if God doesn't have favorites, y'all, Neither should we. If Christ can save white folks who are sinners and save black folks who are sinners, if Christ can save the rich who are sinners and save the poor who are sinners, if Christ can save Republicans who are sinners and save Democrats who are sinners, then y'all, let's love like Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we give you all the glory. We stand here. We approach you solely based upon the merit of Jesus Christ. Solely based on what he has accomplished, what he has done. Not of our own. Only thing we can offer you is our sin and brokenness. And yet you still bid us come. Still tell us to come. And so, Lord, give us, give us your eyes. Give us your heart. Give us your hands. Give us your feet. So that you, O oh Lord, may get all the glory. Pray it in Christ's name.